Welcome to the Hiring Chronicles. Whether you're watching or listening, we're thrilled you're here with Amy and myself. We're an independent podcast, no ties to smart recruiters or anyone else. So there's no corporate jargon, just real talk. And despite the rumours, we're not perfect. So please ignore our good looks and charm and take our advice at your own risk. And let's dive in. All right, we're back. It's part two with Barb. And if you watch part one, you will know that Amy and I struggled towards the end of that just to hold back the emotions. So we called it a day, but we're back and we're we're all right, aren't we? I feel like you're a little bit a little bit on the edge still. I, I'm very tired a lot of the time, so I get emotional quickly. But if you didn't watch part one, Barb is the CEO and co-founder, founder of Sapia. And the tagline for Sapia is about building a fairer world via AI, specifically responsible AI. And we want to ask Barb about her opinions, her perspective to do with AI, mitigating bias. You know, are there gaps and loopholes that might exist today? Because we the work in that world as well. AI will look like as well. What the future looks like yeah. as well. So and maybe um, challenge a little bit. That's Barb choking in the background <laughs> as well. So Barb, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> <laughs> no tears this time. No. Where, where should we begin, Barb? I mean, AI is such a hot topic at the minute. Everybody's talking about it. I don't necessarily think everybody understands it, like generative AI. Where do we begin when we talk about AI affecting recruitment? Well, let's kind of just define it uh, in the most simple way. And when you think about the term artificial intelligence, it is trying to mirror what we do as humans. And every day, every second of the day, we're making decisions based on data. Often it's the data, well, really it is mostly the data that comes from our life, our history. You know, the greatest algorithm in the world is the one inside of our skull. We're just not very good at explaining it. Um, and um, part of what we're trying to solve for is that limitation that humans have biases. They are innate. It's an innate human condition. It's in all of us, not in a few bad actors. And despite all the positive intent in the world, you cannot remove your biases because most biases are unconscious. Wikipedia has something like 144 biases that it lists and, you know, we're all familiar with many of them. And interestingly, you know, there was an announcement about 18 months ago that the UK Civil Service defunded unconscious bias training because they did the analysis that showed it made no difference to the diversity of people coming into an organisation and the diversity of those cultures because it's... A, Unconscious, you can't train us out of our biases. So there has to be a better way to make decisions. That's really what you're doing when you're using your biases. Bias is a wonderful shortcut to decision-making. You know, I will hire Amy over you because when Amy and I connect, <laughs> we just have <laughs> We have we have like a connection and energy. Oh, she loves the same movies as me. I just feel really comfortable with her. You know, I'm going to prefer her. It's called mirror hiring. Um, because we're just closer to each other. And that probably means that we'll work more effectively together in the short term. We may not be as innovative as if I hired you because you come with a different set of experiences and perspective, but it'll make working together really easily and we'll get productive together as a team really quickly. So that is why so many founders, particularly male founders, particularly male white founders in the US, just keep hiring more male white engineers because you know they all kind of the same breed. And it means that you can move really quickly. But 
at the same time, you're also missing out um, on a lot of talent. And um, that isn't a great thing for you as an organisation and it's not great for the world. Um, so what we're doing when we're creating an AI-based technology is we're trying to find a different way to look at patterns. And there are traditionally the way that's been done is through CV in recruitment is through CV analysis. The issue with using the data within a CV is no matter what you do, you cannot debice a resume. And there is a great example of this in practice where Amazon, now back in 2017, created an algorithm based on um, putting into one database all the resumes. I think they might have even had their names removed of people who were hired and those who weren't. And it turns out there are lots of signals that talk to socioeconomic status, um, gender, race that exist even when it's not identified explicitly. So I'm a member of the basketball club, maybe people might associate that more with men more than women, or I'm involved in some other organisation. And so you really just risk amplifying bias when you're using that as your training data. That's really the key question when you're thinking about AI is what data you're using, what you've got human data, and then you've got different kinds of data. And so you've got to be obsessive and really dig deep when you're talking to a vendor, for instance, about what is the data that you're using. If you're using data from people, as in people decisions, you're also starting with something that's going to be biased. So if I go into an organisation and I say, you know, let's survey everyone here in the sales team and then you tell me who are the best performing salespeople and you then feed that in and create an algorithm out of that, the issue is, one, you will not be able to explain it. There will be things about those people. Maybe they're all girls or boys or whatever it might be. You won't know that because that isn't part of the data set. And um, the second thing is that you're already screened for that profile to come into your organisation. So it's a very limited sample size. And you're also relying on human decisions in that. Who are the best performing? In sales, you've kind of got objective data, but most of the time you don't have objective data. So you want training data that is not resume data, that is not human decisions. You want it to be clean. And the choice that we made, which has really been the most powerful decision we made from an ethical AI perspective, is to use language data, which has no PII, it has no demographics. Language data being do an interview through chat. It's a structured interview, which is seen as the most predictive of whether someone's going to be a good fit. And all we're using is your responses to that. You know, hey, David, what was the last time you worked in an incredible team? Like, what did you take away from that? And it's your story. Or it's Amy's story. Amy, can you share a time that you faced a really tough customer conversation? You know, how did you how did you lean into that? Um, what did you find worked? What didn't work? It's like an interview. And language data, this is now something the world realises with GPT. Language data is incredibly rich with signal. In a data science world, you talk about signal. It means something, right? You can have a lot of data in HR and HR is drowning in data, but most of it is useless. It doesn't have any signal. And language data is, when you think about us as humans, you're listening to me now and there are all sorts of inferences that you're making about me. How structured am I as a thinker? Am I someone who is, you know, more energetic, more extroverted? Am I someone who's humble? You're listening out for things like I versus we. We do it as humans. But data science allows you to see things that we can't see as humans. Some of it is explainable, some of it isn't. And that's the data set that we rely on to basically assess you as a human. 
your competencies, your critical thinking, your maturity, your resourcefulness, how well you work with teams, your leadership profile, your emotional intelligence. All of this can be told through language because language is a window to our soul. You know, we are, we are communicators as humans and so that's the data set we use and that's a big part of what makes our technology ethical, our AI ethical. It's not the only reason why and that is where you want to, you know, you want to really dive deep as a buyer on where that data comes from. When you say language, though, are you then looking at the types of words that they will say or the the confidence that they're maybe responding to that interview? What are the types of things? Because language could mean lots of things. Mm-hmm. So it's looking at all of it, right? It's looking at um, sentence structure. So the way that you communicate is a very good representation of how structured you are as a thinker, how structured you are as a communicator is a reflection of your uh, critical thinking capability um, versus not. Um, communication, literacy, fluency. You know, the thing that people get stuck on is that um, when you as a human are listening to another human being, you will make a judgment about how they communicate and what they say. You will say, I wouldn't have used that language. Um, why did they use that word in the end or that word in the beginning, right? We'll have our own predisposition to what we think is a good response. And AI is um, a beginner's mind. It doesn't have those judgments. It's just looking at the words and the sequences and extracting from that meaning. So something that we did research on, we've peer-reviewed and published all of our science. It's really new science. The ability to understand people through languages and new science that SAPI's invented is that um, this is sort of getting a bit technical now, but Um, if I ask you a question, Amy, tell me about something you're really proud of. Maybe you'll tell me a story about something, let's just say, that's more female-oriented. You helped a friend. You might share with me, David, a story about sports. Now, if I'm a guy assessing you, I'll go, hell yeah, that's a great example. If I'm a guy assessing you, Amy, I might go, I don't really think that's a credible story, you know, of, of achievement. Whereas the AI will look at both of those responses and um, agnostically analyze that for its ability to reveal drive, you know, empathy, humility, self-awareness, right? It's not judging whether or not that's a good answer because it references something, you know, traditionally achievement-oriented like sport versus something that relates to what you did for a friend. So it's not giving a decision. It's almost bringing the two sides together and then allowing you to make a I decision? I think AI, or? you know, I really think the co-pilot absolutely needs to be the way you think about AI. So our name Sapia is a combination of Homo sapien, the human, and AI. And you have to have the two in sync. And what we are doing is we're helping challenge you, like we're understanding and assessing that person against a profile that you care about. So again, another critical element of AI is the difference between rule-based models and machine learning models. Machine learning models are when you go in and you just let the systems find patterns, right? The one that I mentioned before. You can't explain it. Lots and lots of risk. Not a good thing to do when you're using that for AI in the context of people. Rule-based models are where you have a human in the loop. That's a, you know, a phrase that gets used a lot. Where you, Amy, as the customer or you know, the head of TA, you decide, what are the rules? What am I looking for? It's like a hypothesis about, I think to come and work in our company, you need to be really mature, you know, highly emotionally aware, 
you know, work well with people, etc. And we will build a model around your rules. So we're trusting you that you know what great looks like. In the US, you would do things like job analysis to validate that, but the organization is best place to assess what great looks like. Then what you do is you look at, well, you said you wanted this profile. You've actually hired something different. We don't typically retrain on high data because hide is a bad signal because we're all biased. Um, but we retrain on performance data. So we typically track levers, for instance. It's a good proxy for performance, whether someone stayed three weeks, three months, three years. And so that data is then used to retrain the model so that it becomes smarter over time. So think of this as like Amazon for people. When you go into Barnes & Noble or a bookstore, historically, you buy a book, They've got no record, really. Maybe they've got a record of what you bought, but you're not coming in the next time because they've sent you a notification to say, Amy, you know, it's time for you to buy another book or when you bought this book, you might also like this one. There's absolutely no ability, zero, to learn from your decision. Much like in recruitment, there is zero learning, right? You hire, you have no idea as a recruiter whether or not that person was a good hire. And there's no ability for you to really ingest that information and make a different choice. So recruitment is the least efficient process that exists in an organisation. You're doing it a lot. It's costing a lot. People are your most expensive asset, but there's zero learning, right? How can you have a function that is such a big cost where there's no learning? Whereas in our technology and in the context of an Amazon, you are learning from data. And so you are building a system of intelligence. You are becoming more accurate in your ability to recommend talent. So the way that that manifests itself in a practical level is reducing turnover. So we have clients in the UK who've gone from 76% turnover to 25% turnover, which is a massive saving to a business. And I think that's what people don't realise about AI. AI is not just automating a shitty process. If all you're trying to do is a faster status quo, go and work with another technology, we would say. If you really want to drive impact in the business, better people, who stay longer, who deliver better service, um, who sell more, right? You have to have data about that that you then ingest into the model. So rule-based models are a really safe way to start because they're explainable and they keep a human in the loop and then they become a machine learning model over time. That's why Netflix, you have your profile, your wife's profile, your kid's profile because it's recognising that your preferences are different. That's data that's feeding back to make more personalised recommendations. Have I lost you? Not lost me. No, uh, my I, brain I, is just... Yeah, so many questions on it. The thing with AI, though, and I think I t we touched mm. on this just as we got started, but it has to be fed something. So even that AI where it's taking two people's opinion or that it's pulling data, that data is coming from somewhere or someone that has a bias. So how does it completely... Well, but, but you're assuming that there's a decision, right? And in our case, we use language data. So over it took us two years to build the product because we needed to collect the data. So something that makes us really valuable to our investors is that we have what's called first-party data. It is proprietary to us. No one else in the world has this data set. It's one and a half billion words. It's growing at about 100 million words every month. And that is a first-party data set as opposed to LinkedIn or resumes, or social data, right, which is, you know, imbued with all sorts of signals around um, people and, and socioeconomic privilege, et cetera. 
And so where is the human decision in language data? It's just people who have applied for a job. Um, And what we do is we create a norm data set, which is very typical when you're traditionally doing assessments. And so we have, you know, a certain set of roles where we're particularly strong, typically customer-facing roles. We work with airlines, retail, hospitality, et cetera. And so you're taking a data set from people who've applied for those roles in that country, and that's your starting point. That's your model. And because we've built the ability to extract features, it's called, which is competencies, personality, from language, and we build this rule-based model, there's no human decision in that at all unless you count the customer's choice of what features to weight, right? That's the only human element. But there's no bias in that, right? There's no human bias I prefer, you know, female to male or, you know, young to old. Um, that's the beauty of it is that it's a clean data set. If everything's based around language and the way people write and you say that CVs are potentially like a, a detractor in the hiring process in a way, if CVs are something that we need to evolve or change What's your view on where education is going to go then? Because at some point, you need people with qualifications to fulfill a role in certain segments. But what you're talking about is the way people articulate themselves blends into a particular culture, and then that comes into a certain team, and that makes you more effective, more productive. But where's the future lie with CVs, qualifications? Do you see that... I don't even know what the question is. Do you know what I mean? So I always think about when you're making a decision to hire or to promote, you think about if you imagine a Venn diagram of three circles overlapping and you're trying to find the the middle intersection, can they do the job? That's very much um, in an engineering context, in an accounting, like do they actually have the qualifications? Do they have the skills? That's probably a technical test of some sort or some kind of credential. You know, if you're hiring someone into a – a solicitor role, they need to have some legal credential. But the bit that is often missed, which is really the most important to success in a role, is two things. The second circle is, are they the right person for my team? Right? Do I want another alpha male in my team? Do I want another humble, you know, shy individual in my team? Or do I want someone that's going to, you know, zhuzh it up? Right? And we often don't think about our bench. You know, if you think about a football team – they don't just hire everyone the same. They look for portfolio of skills. And how do you do that? You're not going to see that in a resume, right? That's where type really matters. What type of person are you? Who are you really? And so the ability that we have to give you this profile that helps you think, right? I'm a huge believer that where AI comes in, it's just helping you make a better decision and obviously a fairer decision. We don't do enough thinking when we're making these decisions, right? You need good intelligence. It's about having good objective intelligence. And then the other one is the company. Are you actually the right person for this company? And to be honest, when we hire into our engineering team, the team and the company massively outweigh whether or not you've got the right engineering skills because we can train you for that, but we can't change who you are. And in a world where skills are changing so quickly, like you think of a role like a prompt engineer, what is that? Right, you're not going to go to university and study prompt engineering. Agile coach, there is no course to become an agile coach. It's a type, right? It's a certain DNA. Same with founder. There's no founder school, right? It's a certain type of person. And that's really what is most important. And we 
neglect that and we cheat by using the resume. Personally, I think resumes need to die. I think resumes are irrelevant in a world of chat GPT because I could fake any resume now um, for a job and I think they will die. Um, I think what matters more is not necessarily the artifact, but how do you just give more intelligence to the person making the decision? Whether you want to call it a resume plus personality profile, that's what assessments have always been. They're really about making you smarter. And we need that in all of our decisions in our life. You know, we have a 50% divorce rate. I'm divorced. I'm repartnered now, but I was divorced. I'm divorced. Congrats. And if I, you know, if, if I had more data about my ex <laughs> to make a better decision rather than just the judgments of my friends and my parents, you know, maybe I would have made a different decision. Like we all benefit from having just, you know, being more intelligent and, and having more insight. And it's, it's something we're all on a journey to as we, you know, it's not like you hit 50 and suddenly you know everything. And so for me, that's where the power of AI is. It's helping the individual applying for the job be smarter, like they learn from it, because it's their decision too. You know, they're much more at risk if they make the wrong decision. It's such a shitty experience when you start a job and you know it's wrong, right? You know you don't fit in. Um, and how do you avoid that, right? So help that person know themselves. You know, there's this great Israeli philosopher, historian, Yuval Noah Harari. Have you heard of him? Mm, Harari? Yeah, Yuval. Uh, he's incredible. He wrote these the book Homo Sapiens. He's written Lessons of the 21st Century. Anyway, he talks about, you know, in a world where AI weaponizes us, weaponizes our data, Instagram, Facebook, you know, how do you deal with that? And his view is you've just got to know yourself better, right? You've got to be more informed about you and the choices that you're making, kind of create – a bit of space between what you see and what you do. And I think the best thing about our technology is that, is that we're helping people build self-awareness, understand themselves better. And whether that helps you in your job, helps you in your life, you know, I think, don't we all want that? I suppose so, yeah. I, sp I, I think it brings me to a question that I mentioned to you, Ames, was that I read so often about whether AI is going to destroy jobs or create jobs like mm. that's the fear that a lot of people have in the back of their mind is is my job under threat because ultimately ai can reduce indirect hiring costs by having less time with the hiring managers less candidates to deal with does that also mean that ai is going to reduce the need for as many recruiters and and so that's one fear that i read about i don't know whether i believe it all but I don't know what you think I about it. I don't know, it. I guess, though, because you, there is that human element that candidates will still want. Like, if I'm applying for a job, I will still want to have a chat with somebody about it. Mm. So even if I get to a certain stage, it's almost like shopping. I can order whatever I want online. I still love to go into the shop and have a little browse. Yeah. I think so that's a bias. That is a bias. Because 3 million people do not feel that way. I think once you get to the point where, okay, gee, I really want to work here. Now I really want to speak to people, right? Um, I think at the closest you are to making a decision as the organisation or as the individual, you absolutely need humans. And that's where the human should come into play in force, right? Like I remember when I got my job offer from BCG and it wasn't just one person that called me. It was like eight people that called me from the organisation. And I just felt like a queen. Like, wow, <laughs> this makes me feel incredible. Of course I'm going to accept, you know. Was and this on day one, did you say? This right? is like before I 
when I before when I got the job offer. Oh, right? when you it got it wasn't the offer, just right. one person that calling me. It was five partners, three consultants. So I felt such love. I immediately accepted because I had a few other offers as well. And you know, we don't have the capacity to do that now in recruitment. You know, you can't give everyone that loving experience and you shouldn't because you don't know if I'm going to be the right person until you're a little bit further along. You know, what people want is to just know that they had a go. You know, there's a fair go concept in Australia. And frankly, the AI is more human than the human because you're not going to get any feedback from the human. You're certainly not going to get a fair go because we're biased. Where the role changes is I think you become more of a talent concierge and a talent business partner. You know, I don't think anyone's time is served well by screening a resume. And so if you can automate that, right, and you're also solving for diversity and, frankly, you're giving a much better experience, people don't want to interview, right? Not everyone is like us and feels comfortable telling our story. Like it is astonishing to me how many people say this is so much more comfortable. Like I've got a dyslexia, I've got a stutter, I don't feel comfortable about my appearance, you know, like a blind, untimed chat interview is massively game-changing for people who are not confident extroverts, you know. And we see that in the data, we see that in the feedback comments. And so making it truly democratic, like it, it completely changes the diversity of people that get through. But then once you're at the point where you know that that's the place, right, that's when I think the humans come into force. And I think if recruiters can be open to my role's going to change, like the human part of me comes into play. I don't have to screen. Like who wants to do phone screens? Who wants to read resumes? But if I can go, Amy, tell me about you and what you really care about. Let me find the right people to talk to you because we really want you, right? That's the, the, the economics also don't play out, right? So, you know, we did analysis where you would look at it's crazy. Let's say you've got 10 recruiters, so that's half a million pounds a year. Then you've got 100,000 people coming through landing on your career site. Probably 50% of them will disappear because it's a shitty career site and it doesn't allow you to get the questions answered that you want. Um, so you're left with 50,000. Then people click on and have to complete 31 steps. Maybe half will drop out, so you're left with 25,000. Then those people, maybe another half will drop out of that because, again, it's a really terrible video interview. I feel really scared. I feel awkward. I don't like video or I don't like, you know, some other kind of scary assessment. So you're, you're down to about 5,000. And when you look at the economics of then 5,000, maybe you end up making 1,000 offers and 50% accept. That's a really terrible return on investment as an organisation. Like if you were running a consumer site for women's clothing, you'd be fired for losing that much, you know, value through the process, right? Like I think there's a lot to be learned from marketing in recruitment. How do we optimise that so we get maximum number of people from here to here? Um, because people whinge about supply. There's not a supply issue. There's a retention issue because the experience is so terrible. And so, you know, you want to – if you're going to make a 1,000 offers, you want a 1,000 accepts. I think win rate is the one factor that everyone should be driving towards. Like are we getting a 100% win rate? You know, in consulting we used to measure ourselves by cross-off or win rate, right, because then you know there's a like a proxy for quality. If you make 10 offers and you only get five accepts, that's a massive loss of value if you think about how much time has been spent there. So, you know, I think, again, thinking from an economics perspective – you know, I talk to recruitment teams about applying cost of acquisition CAC, which is a standard metric in SAS and LTV, and say, 
think about talent like that. What is your candidate acquisition cost? What is their long-term value? How long do they stay? And, you know, that's how you should think about value of your talent engine is are you delivering good CAC to LTV ratios? Mm -hmm. You know, not just are you filling a role really fast with someone who can fog a mirror? But then... (laughs) Do, Sorry to be so provocative, Amy. Yeah. No, but do, do you then, is the, the role of a recruiter just to call somebody and say, congratulations, you've had an offer? Talent concierge, I do like but, the term. Because, because it's me, to win them, right? But, and then but if, you've already, if you've already said, you know, you've got an offer, we want to connect you with, for me, I just think, and, may, and maybe again, it is that, that bias side, but for me, if I'm, if I've applied to two companies, I've gone through a great interview with one of them, maybe both the same kind of journey, but I've had a recruiter calling me and getting to know me. I think I would lean more rather than just an automated email that's coming out and yeah, keeping me up to date. you could be the wrong date. person, right? I mean, I think the recruiter's role is to be in the business, right? If you're the hiring manager, you want to be spending a lot of time with David, right? David, tell me what you think you really need here. Because to be honest, David is really time poor. And he's just going to say, Amy, put the PD up. Right, I let's thought just that's go. coming for you, Dave. Put the job wreck, right? <laughs> and, um, and you're like, no, 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 let's stop. You've lost three people in a month. You know, something's not right here. We're not hiring the right person. Let's just understand what's going on. Or, David, I think everyone in your team is, you know, monocultural. Let's get some diversity in here, right? You're the advisor to the hiring manager. Like that is the role mm-hmm. that you really should be spending 80% of your time to both get the briefing right Don't just sort of rinse and repeat the same old. To really help David think about what do you really need in your team, what skills, what profile, you know, and understand what your team is delivering so you can excite the person at the right point. It's to then challenge you because David's going to hire another person who's exactly the same as the ones who've just left and go, you know what, I think we need to go for something. Like that takes time. It's more strategic. And it's it's kind of you're a thought partner, you're a talent partner. Like you feel as invested in the success of his team as he does, you know, as opposed to you're spending time with a whole lot of shitty candidates, frankly, that are the wrong candidates. Mm. So I think you need to orient as a recruiter to be more focused on the hiring manager and less on the candidate, right? That's where the value lies. Get the right foundations of brief, you know, profile, because hiring managers are not very good at that, in my experience. I like that. I think it's uh, a topic that we could probably do another four or five episodes on. We are up at time amy do you want to ask your final question that you love to ask on our podcast to wrap up this this chapter <laughs> oh, I'm really go on scared now. go on well i really like the question but i do like it really i just like to whinge at something <laughs> go on ask it so if you had a say one wish or one magic wand that you could just cast a spell or do something to create change Whatever it may be within the TA world, or actually beyond the TA world, what would it be? You should just do one thing. So COVID killed the bias that I need to see you to trust that you're doing the work, for the most part, right? Reality was we all had to go at home and you had to trust people do the work. I would love recruiters to get beyond the bias that I need to see you to hire you. I have so many questions. Nope, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, I've written down a lot and I, I I really appreciate listening to you. You you have some really interesting perspectives and it's it's been a really interesting episode. Some 
some things that I need to take away and just compute in my own mind and we'll chat about it but I really appreciate you coming on it's been it's been great thank you it's been incredible very very incredible thank you so much anytime thank you